kicking it with Kendrick. Mm. We love that acting. You're kicking it with Kendrick, but not that Kendrick. Nah, nah. You're kicking it with Kendrick. Yeah, Twilight gets it. Woo. You're kicking it with Kendrick. Pitch perfect singing. Oh, yeah, she's on the go. How many actors got that glow? Singing and acting, I don't know. Not even Leo's got that flow. Musicals and movies more. All the talents out the door. We're seeing what she's got in store. Yeah, and it's time to stop the show. Welcome back to episode 21, oh my god, 21 episodes of Kicking It With Kendrick. Sorry, that just, I've never read the episode, like, number until now. That just really sunk in. Well, this is now our longest sub-series, because we have two, and this is now longer than Losing It Over Leo, although that will change. Well, I don't know if it'll change. We are going to do more episodes of that eventually, though. If he makes movies. Yeah. Yeah, we have twice the episodes as the run of Firefly, I believe, at this point. I think, well, no, Firefly had 11 episodes, so we're almost there. Next, next, uh, Oh my god, you weren't kidding. I thought that was just celebrate. a really cruel joke. No, it's unfortunately true. <laughs> Unless you count the movie, then I guess that's like 12 episodes or something. And returning back this week, we have our guest, Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Hello, thanks for having me back. Who is apparently the local rom-com expert. Because today we are talking about uh, rom-coms, I believe, right? Yes. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the first movie, I kind of think surprisingly, that uh, we've talked about on this show that like really counts as a rom-com. And, you know, that seems like it would be a good time to talk about rom-coms in general. Because I don't think we've talked about many rom-coms, even on Classic Movies Live, really. Uh, Haven't we? I don't think so. Like the the, I find the closest that hard to I can. Believe. I know, I know, right? It seems weird, oh, but yeah. I can't think of any. Well, thank God Rachel's here because <laughs> we would be screwed otherwise. Before we get into things, Rachel, we had you on last week. Well, I think for listeners, it's now two weeks ago for our drinking buddies episode. But we sort of just jumped right into things there. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, sure. I'm Rachel. I'm from Arizona. I never know what to do in these. I feel like I'm back in college doing a <laughs> icebreaker. Oh, that's okay. We can we have some questions. We can guide you through it if you want. Yeah, I just as far as rom coms go, I think um, I'm just like a 27 year old woman. So I was alive during a very specific time. I watched a lot of TBS in USA. Caught a good number of rom coms that way. So yeah, <laughs> it's my background in rom coms. Because we are on an Anna Kendrick podcast, uh, I need to ask you, because I didn't get the chance last time, what are your top three favorite Anna Kendrick movies? So this was tough. I realize I haven't actually seen a lot of Anna Kendrick movies. I feel like she needs a new agent. I, I feel I like she need, her roles agree. are just rough. Probably my top three, like the movies themselves that she's mm. in are Up in the Air, Scott Pilgrim, and Pitch Perfect. I loved Pitch Perfect when it came out. I feel like it got tired kind of fast, but I'm not going to judge it based on that. The first time I saw it, it killed me. I was like dying laughing. So mm-hmm. yeah, I loved it. Those are those are my top three. But uh, just to touch on one other thing you literally just said, you said she, you think she needs a new agent, which uh, really leads into, which, which is like a convenient way to lead into my next question, which was originally, I was going to ask you, what are your top three Anna Kendrick performances? But I think a more useful version of that question is just like, 
What are your general thoughts on Anna Kendrick as a performer? I think she's good. I think she has a lot more to her than she got shoehorned into, which is rough because Up in the Air was sort of how she burst on the scene. And I remember my dad taking me to that movie and being like, can you believe this? Like, she's so young and she's so great. And she was like great in a dramatic role and a dramedy. And then people figured out she was like a funny girl and she got sort Mm -hmm. of put in that category. I think she's a great straight man, actually, which she doesn't play in this movie. Uh, But and she never does anymore. But in like, that's why I love her in Scott Pilgrim. And I like her in Twilight, too, for that. She's a great contrast Mm -hmm. to like, she seems actually of our world um, and super confused by like, what is going on? And she grounds it a lot, but they don't cast her as that anymore because she's kooky and weird and and different. (laughs) She like got stuck there. The further I get away from this episode, the more I like, as much as I did like Noelle way back when we talked about it, I totally get why everyone else hated it because like that is just her being cast as kooky Anna Kendrick. Meanwhile, there's Happy Christmas, which like, you know, I hated, but at the same time, she gives it like a really good, not exactly unique, but like not the Anna Kendrick performance you expect necessarily from something like Noel. I think Noel might be everything wrong with casting Anna Kendrick, even though, you know, it works, I guess, but. Yeah, it works. I think that's the problem is that she can pull it off. Yeah. And so because she pulls it off, that's all she get cast as and. Like the closest to non-kooky that you get is Pitch Perfect, uh, which I remember at the time all my friends hating that she was so, um, like she was very not like the other girls, but in like a truly patronizing way. Like they hated that. Uh, Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't watch movies. (laughs) It was like a very, that's like as close as you can get her to playing the straight man now or the straight woman, I suppose. Yeah, there's a there's a line in Pitch Perfect where her love interest says something like, you haven't seen The Breakfast Club? And it's just such an awkward conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's rough to watch. <laughs> so getting a little more into the topic at hand, let's talk about romantic comedies. Pierre, what do you think about when you think about romantic comedies? Uh, the Proposal, that's it. That's like the one, I don't know, that, that works for me. Well, so like, but like, why um, is that the one that works for you? What about it? Like, let's, let's really delve into there. I guess because I think you could take out the romance and it'd still be funny. Or you could take out the funny parts and it would still be romantic, I guess. Like, they both just work well together. But then like, because they go together, yet they don't clash, it like complements each other very mm-hmm. well, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. It's that one. And I guess... uh. I really like Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but I don't really see that as a rom-com. That's more of like a, it was more like a breakup movie or something because it's way more, I don't know, like crazy. It, it doesn't feel, it's, it feels more like, well, it's definitely like a, like the Judd Apatow style movie, not like a traditional rom-com, I guess. So yeah, but the proposal is like the hallmark, I think, of that stuff. That's all I got. I'm sorry. Rachel's rubbing her hands together. So no, I, I just like do that. It's because I was laughing because I had said I think The Proposal is probably the most recent, one of the more recent, like, strongest rom-coms we've had. I think I, I like, said that to Jeff a couple of times. Yeah, and it's, like, yeah, I, it's years old. Yeah, it's much older than I remembered. Yeah, <laughs> That's the sad part. It's weird. Rom-coms aren't really, uh, they're not really in right now. I guess any <laughs> kind of comedy isn't in right now. Like, in, like they don't get released Yeah, they go straight to theaters. Amazon. 
Yeah, yeah. that's kind of weird. Like, I can't think of any recent romantic comedies that have actually been in theaters. At least not that have been, like, in theaters and also advertised. I think maybe in 2020, there was a movie that was supposed to release called The Lovebirds, and it was, I think that was originally going to go to theaters, but then COVID happened and it released straight to Netflix. The Big Sick might have been in theaters, mm. but, like, that mm-hmm. might have been it. Oh, I wouldn't say that that was, like, a rom-com, though. That was, that felt much more of, like, a... a a dramedy <laughs> i guess i don't know i don't know no, but the that's line exactly drawn, the interesting like, thing here right? more... that's what i wanted to get into is like where does that line exist and why isn't that kind of like arbitrary because like in this movie today mr right it doesn't mr right is very different than something like the proposal but it's still a rom-com right whereas something like you know you said the big sick i think of that I, I haven't watched it but like i think of that as when I look at it, I'm like, oh, that looks like a rom-com. But you say, like, it, it isn't because the line is somewhere else. And I think that's the thing that's interesting to me is, like, rom-coms, despite having, like, such a straightforward name, like, it's supposed to be romantic comedies, right? It feels like not, something isn't really a rom-com unless it's a lot more than that. Like, it's way more specific than that, right? It's like a slasher. Like, you could do a Cabin in the Woods style movie about rom-coms, I think. Like there's, they have like, I think some pretty specific things you have to fulfill. It's a very specific genre. I I think that's why. I don't know if you've seen it, but wasn't there literally a Cabin in the Woods style movie about rom-coms with Rebel Wilson like two years ago? Right, yeah. Isn't it romantic or something? Yeah, I didn't see that. But yeah, it was like Enchanted Cabin in the Woods. Like she finds herself in a rom-com, right? I think is the whole concept. Yeah. So I guess we're at that meta level of, it is like slashers, though. Slashers came and went and then kind of came back. I think rom-coms mm-hmm. might try to do the same thing. They released Marry Me this year, but its whole, like, kitsch, its gimmick was that it was a rom-com. They were like, rom-coms are back. This is a rom-com, we promise. It was like, that was their whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess that one did go straight to theaters. So, like, that one, maybe that one counts as the last big released <laughs> rom-com because they're back now. If you've seen the long shot, I think that was kind of mm-hmm. a rom com. That was all right. That was relatively big. Actually, I don't know if that made any money, but it looked expensive. Like surprisingly, it did well. For a I know that. Yeah, <clears throat> but I don't know that it. I, it did well critically. Like people liked it. I don't know if it did well commercially. Mm-hmm. I went to a theater where like that one was. The theater was pretty well attended yeah, when yeah. I went to go see the long shot. So I hope it did well commercially. It, based on that. It did Never not mind. Well commercially, unless it was released on streaming, uh, which it <laughs> oh. wasn't. So yeah, that is unfortunate. <clears throat> it's an expensive movie. It might just be cast. Forty million dollars. Rachel, what would you say is your favorite rom com? And like, what do you think of when you think of rom coms? Since obviously we brought you on as our expert. <laughs> My favorite rom com is You've Got Mail, which is I think you guys are a couple years younger than me, right? Like I'm, uh, I'm a year 20. older than you. Okay, you've got mail is still it's like 1997, so mm-hmm. it's still like technically before my time. I didn't see it in theaters or anything. I my mom loved that movie. That's how I was introduced to that movie. It's Nora Ephron, so it's also like of that canon of like I would say elevated rom coms that she sort of mastered, and it's in the Meg Ryan Tom Hanks cinematic universe that existed for a while there. Mm-hmm. Um, but rom-coms to me follow, like, okay, 
to me, rom-coms are comprised of specific tropes, generally. Um, I think when you hear something's a rom-com, right, they're telling you the ending of the movie. So I think whenever you go to watch a rom-com, you're like, so these two characters are getting together. Tell me how they're going to do it. And then the director sets up like a series of obstacles (laughs) for you. They have this, this, and this in common, but none of these things. And how are we going to overcome those? And it's going to be funny and interesting along the way. And Mm -hmm. you get a lot of established tropes in that. And I think what Mr. Wright does, right, is it sets up all a few things that this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work. And then it goes, oh, no, it's fine. Don't worry. They're actually like they're both crazy. So it's, it's mm-hmm. a non-issue. Like it, it's not like one of them needs to change anything. They're both just nuts. They're both into it. You're all set. It, it takes out that tension, I think, right. largely. Uh, except for like one moment, basically. But mm-hmm. I think, yeah, rom-coms are, they have a specific structure. Usually you see characters meet and then depending on how they're starting, if they're starting as strangers, friends or like enemies would be your usual starting points they meet they have whatever tension they have they probably get together or if they're enemies they probably become friends or something they have a falling out something big happens like 70 percent of the time this is like a woman walks in on the guy she's seeing kissing another woman like while he's physically pushing her away from him or there's someone misunderstands something through like the crack of a door and then someone leaves and then there's a large gesture they get back together everything resolves and that's the end of the rom-com i would say is your general traditional rom-com mm-hmm. and matt i'm gonna guess you've got mail fits like every single one of those it it doesn't quite to be honest with you okay there the conceit of you've got mail is that she's instant messaging this guy it's like right at the beginning of email so they're emailing right if i remember correctly it's like super cute about the internet it's like super dumb about it but Mm. they're totally anonymous in real life she owns a small bookstore and he's like the son of the ceo of the guy who owns like basically barnes and noble who is actively attempting to put her store out of business right um they don't know that they meet in person and they're like it's very pride and prejudice they're very similar but they're very so they're very sassy and fun but they hate each other she hates him but she's like in love with this guy online basically she's like mm-hmm. falling for that guy online the big issue becomes he figures out long before her that the person he's talking to online is her so he has like the upper hand on that and he's trying to win her over or what have you so that's sort of where it comes from is they have a falling out because or no, they really don't. They have a falling out in real life because he's trying to put her store out of business. Mm-hmm. But online, they never really do. They just, the movie ends because they agree to meet <laughs> in but person. Like, and she realizes, oh, I've known him. Oh my gosh, I've mm-hmm. known him. And I like him. So hold on. So like we started by saying like <laughs> right. a rom-com start, like, follows all these specific tropes. And then like you specifically bring up one that doesn't, which. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's the plot structure, which I think is important mm-hmm. to, like, the cheapest rom-coms, right? Like, and you get that with slashers, too, where mm-hmm. the absolute, like, worst slashers are the most formulaic to the point where you can, like, guess every single thing that's going to happen. 
and the better slashers throw you and Mm -hmm. they're different you you've got male has a series of tropes i would consider like enemies to lovers it's doing pride and prejudice incredibly actively and almost literally so like at a certain point meg ryan is reading pride and prejudice and she's like Mm -hmm. i love this book (laughs) they're both with people that they don't really like that aren't good for them so as the audience we're rooting for them to be together so i think like the enemies to lovers storyline is something that's pretty unique to a rom-com. It takes up a lot of screen time to show two people that hate each other actually fall for each other. Mm-hmm. It usually ends up that the romance then has to be the main plot line. So because of that, I think you end up with stuff that's slightly more outside the box. Yeah, I mean, you've got males unique and there are unique ones Nora Ephron pushes it a little bit. She'll do sort of straight romance plots with comedy in them. Just comedy dialogue. The people are funny. Mm -hmm. So that ends up sort of twisting it a little bit. Yeah, I'm looking at her filmography here and I see, like, the one that I was going to bring up earlier was uh, When Harry Met Sally and she wrote Mm -hmm. that one. So, but what I'm noticing about these two are, I haven't seen that many of these, but I've seen a couple of them at least with Nora Ephron, like she's not doing, she's, it doesn't seem like she's writing movies to write rom-coms. It sounds like she's writing like romances and then putting funny people in them. Yes. Which like, I don't know if you have an answer for this, but like, when did rom-coms start? Because it seems like that's sort of a more, that's a really like obvious starting point is to just have straight romances which has existed since the beginning of movies and obviously before that but as movies since the beginning of movies and then just have charismatic people in them probably funny people and then eventually you get like a whole comedy subgenre out of it i think it's sort of like the term pop like i was reading something about rom-coms like an academic paper someone had written and they referred to breakfast at tiffany's as a rom-com Because it's a romance and it's funny and it's not Mm -hmm. a tragedy. I mean, in my opinion, like Much Ado About Nothing is a rom-com. Like a straight rom-com. Yeah. Pride and Prejudice is a rom-com. But they're not classified that way because they're classic. And I think at a certain point when they started to get downgraded as a genre film and started being seen as formulaic and bad, that's when Mm -hmm. we started calling them rom-coms. And I mean, you're saying, you know, it's a romance movie with funny people in it. I think that's part of what Judd Apatow does. Um, mm-hmm. Or Jonathan Levine did um, did that most recent one with Charlize Theron that you guys were talking about, right? The Long Shot. Because uh, he did yes. 50-50. So he does that too. He'll do, you know, a comedy with romance in it, mm-hmm. basically. Um Forgetting Sarah Marshall falls into that category. Like, these are all movies that are primarily comedies. Bridesmaids does that. But I think, yeah, when we started to hit really, really um, superficial rom-coms where you could really see a lot of things coming, and that's why we can't even think of the names of them. Like, anything that Jennifer Lopez was in (laughs) was, like, a Mm -hmm. rom-com. it's it's such a it is a weird genre because everyone's favorite the proposal is i think one of the most it's great as an example because it's funny and it's good but the 
actual structure of it is very much of that tri- that structure that I described. It's very tropey. I was just thinking like any of the ones that we think of, I don't, I mean, I don't typically think of those as rom-coms because if they're good, they're either a romance or they're a comedy or they're something else. Like it, it does seem like it's more of a derogatory term. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I think that's like slasher with horror movie. Mm-hmm. Though I think slasher is sort of, people who like slashers like the term and love to make fun of slashers. So it works out. They're willing to make fun of themselves and be like, this is a slasher. It's bad. Um, but yeah, rom-com, I'm surprised they didn't start going direct to video earlier. I think women just went to the theater and they spent money, became a great cash grab. Um, but they were largely seen as like bad, just mm-hmm. like not good. Um, even when they were pretty good, like no strings attached. I thought Friends with Benefits was okay. Those are sort of the um, deep impact in Armageddon of our time. Those They came out like two months apart with the right. exact same structure and plot. <laughs> and everyone had a one they liked better than the other one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, they started to sort of perfect the tropes and actually bring good people into it. I think that's really what we see with the proposal. It's really what we see with No Strings Attached, with Friends with Benefits. And then everyone just went, okay, so we're done. I think honestly we're good. We'll have movies where I don't I don't know, a guy'll find a girl, but he won't have to do a big grand gesture about it. He won't I think it got moved to television a lot. The Office, New Girl, uh How I Met Your Mother sort of started to move romantic comedies into like a longer form. Mm-hmm. And they just sort of stayed there. I I hope this doesn't seem unconnected, but there is but like we keep bringing up or all three of us have independently brought up Judd Apatow and like not specifically related to this movie, but like, why, why is it that like the one director that sticks out when we're talking about rom-coms is Judd Apatow, who I would never even think of as a rom-com director, but like somehow he's directed so many that fit into that trope and like all did come out in theaters. And like, he's still a big name guy. All his movies are comedies with a romance plot. I'm trying to yeah. remember a single one that doesn't have like a very prominent romance plot. I think funny people might be right. the closest, but even right. that it's like, yeah, well it's, it, it still has a romance plot. It's just that the actual plot of funny people is Adam Sandler is, I don't know, depressed. I think that's it. I can't remember it too well. Yeah, the stakes of every Judd Apatow movie is the relationship. Basically. Yeah. What are we going to lose? Yeah, I guess, what does it say about rom-coms that the yeah. biggest rom-com director that we can think of isn't even a rom-com director, or at least isn't even thought of that way, and is also Judd Apatow and makes stoner comedies for dudes? I mean, I know you brought me on to talk a little bit about gender. I think that's a big part of it. I think that movies that star men take a lot to be called a rom-com. Like, a mm-hmm. lot. Even, like, 40-year-old virgin, I think people would hesitate. And the entire plot of that movie is a rom-com, start to finish. But when, like, a woman, or especially a girl, uh, like, a woman, like, under 25 is your main Mm -hmm. character, you're really uh, playing with fire, adding any kind of a romance plot. Like, when I was looking stuff up for this, I saw so many movies that I wouldn't even consider rom-coms that were 
placed in that category. Bring it on, Legally Blonde, movies where the whole plot is about something else. Mm-hmm. But like that girl finds a boyfriend in the middle of it. And so that becomes to someone a rom-com. Princess Diaries. I saw someone list Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century from Disney Channel as a rom-com, which is insane. It's about saving the International Space Station. That's what that movie's about. Okay. So I don't know. I don't understand. It's like very weird. It's not like a, you know, Disney movie that is actually just about like a couple, like at all. She just like Mm -hmm. meets a boy. It's so I think that's part of it is that Judd Apatow gets away with it. I think people really like rom-coms. I think there's a lot of comedy and relationships and he gets to play off of that without being, you know, the guy that makes rom-coms. I think like, I may have been being too obtuse here, but like, I think that it's kind of the connection that I'm drawing a little bit. And I'm definitely not the first person to draw this connection is like Judd Apatow makes movies about like, I guess down on their luck dudes. Like the guys are always in the focus in focus in those movies, except maybe one. I can't remember which one, but I know he has one that where like the main character. He did bridesmaids, right? Uh, I don't think so. He produced it maybe. Okay. But like, um, yeah, he does movies about guys and there's they're rom-coms about guys, but like, we don't call those rom-coms at least not as a society, even though they are. But then when we have, as you just said, almost any movie about a young girl, if there is a romantic element, it's a rom-com. And also we associate rom-coms with bad, which is like right. super unfair if, if the connections I'm drawing all come together. I don't know anyone specifically, anyone personally, but like it would not surprise me to see, to like walk up to any guy and be like, hey, do you like rom-coms? And they'd be like, nah, I just skip those. So like, you know, just by being labeled a rom-com to certain audiences, it's just a death sentence, even if your movie isn't actually a romantic movie. But meanwhile, Judd Apatow gets away with making exactly that kind of movie. And no one even labels them that because they're about, you know, 20-year-old stoners. Yeah. Um, I think that's, you know, when you get put into a genre film category, that's where you end up. Like, you're not going to win an Oscar making a horror movie or a rom-com you're not necessarily going to become a classic movie if it's any of those things. Um, like, I love You've Got Mail. There's so many movies that I saw when I was younger that so many guys I knew just never saw. They were just never exposed to them because they were rom-coms. And so, like, their dad never saw it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like, they didn't watch stuff because their mom showed it to them. They watched stuff because they went to go see it with their dad or they went to go see it with their guy friends. So they never saw, like, Legally Blonde or they, ne- they never saw Bring It On, which are just comedies. Bring It On's a straight comedy. I don't think there's very much in that movie that's um, feminine. Like, it's about cheerleaders, but okay. Does and... Miss Congeniality get lumped into rom-coms? Because there's no romance in that. Like, I don't yeah, even think there is Benjamin a romantic... Bratt. Oh, okay. Technically, there is then. But, like, yeah. he's so not important to the movie. Yeah, that's like a C-plot. Yeah, it's yeah. brutal because Miss, Miss Congeniality is hilarious. It's like a really strong comedy and it's a really strong uh, movie for women too. There's like a couple of really great moments like that are kind of heavy that are dealt with in like a very normal way. Like I think at one point she's in the bathroom with like the blonde girl and she's like telling her like, yeah, I was sexually assaulted once. <laughs> she's like, oh my God, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I don't know, I'm fine. And then the movie moves on, which is a very like authentic female like woman experience that I've Mm. had like countless times so that's like really nice to see but yeah I mean she like flirts with 
uh, Benjamin Bratt in a pool. So I guess it's a rom-com and it's not good. And yeah, their relationship doesn't have any hiccups other than at the beginning, he thinks she's like a man because she wears pants. That's right. like basically. Oh yeah, that is a, the whole thing. Yeah, she's ugly. I... They try to sell you that Sandra Bullock is ugly at the beginning of that movie. Huh. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll move on to talking about Mr. Right, which I mean, I guess is a rom-com because it's the, the main character is a woman and she has a romantic interest. So she's it's a rom-com by default. We'll see about whether or not it actually falls into that. It's a rom-com because she's the main character. Yeah. If he was the main character, it would be like an action comedy. <laughs> because it likes the first shot is like of her, it's a rom-com. And if the first shot had been of him, <laughs> if they had reordered those opening scenes, then it, it probably I mean it still might have. I think you still could have framed it. It's 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 just like in real life. If you're if you're born and the first thing you see is your mother, then your life is a rom com. If the first shot you see is your dad, it's, your life's an action comedy. Yeah, or like Rudy, you get Remember the Titans or something. <laughs> Hi, hey. Supposed to be in Milwaukee killing your husband. So why are you here? Murder's wrong, Sharon. But you're a hitman. Nobody's perfect. Was I cheating on you? Maybe. I don't know how this keeps happening. Do I just suck? No! Am I just like, oh, oh. suck ball, McGee? You're just a work in progress, babe. Oh. How'd you do that? It's a lot of condoms. Wow, you look great. Excuse me, waiter. Can I? I'm on a date, and I like this girl. Can't we do this tomorrow? Hey, did you have to finish a book on tape? No, sorry. I had to kill somebody in the parking lot. Yeah, into it. Yeah, hey, everyone. We're back from the break. Uh, here to talk about Mr. Wright, the, the Sam Rockwell, Anna Kendrick movie. I don't know who directed it. I don't really want to find out who directed it. But I'm sure they're very, they're very nice person. I'm gonna spoil it for you. It was Paco Cabezas. I will probably not hear that name again. He's done a lot of TV. It looks like that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I noticed that too. I'm sorry. Wait, what's his name? Paco, Paco? Cabezas. Okay, I'm sorry, Paco. I'm sure you're a lovely fellow. Right before the break, I said I'm gonna look up what Wikipedia calls it. I don't know if Wikipedia calls anything specifically a rom-com or a romantic comedy, but it calls it calls Mr. Wright a romantic action comedy. So we get the best of both worlds. Mm. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a unisex movie. Uh, this... <laughs> uh, Jeff, do you want to tell us? What the movie's about? Uh, sure. So, Mr. Wright is about... It is a romantic comedy, I would say, starring Anna Kendrick and Sam Rockwell. Anna Kendrick has just had, like, a pretty bad experience with her previous boyfriend, 
which has led to them no longer being together. And shortly thereafter, she meets Sam Rockwell, who is a hitman on the run. So initially when they meet, like she doesn't get to learn anything about him because he's being super cagey with his identity because he doesn't want people to find out who he is. As they hang out more, it just turns out they're both pretty equally quirky in the same ways. Like we said earlier with rom-coms, it's just sort of watching their uh, romance progress, except unlike unlike in a lot of... uh, I'm going to say in quotes, traditional, I'm going to actually say like more tropey rom-coms. There aren't really that many obstacles they have to overcome that are obstacles in their relationships, uh, in their relationship. Like the conflicts of this movie mostly involve the fact that Sam Rockwell is a hitman on the run and they both have to deal with that rather than, you know, Anna Kendrick having to come to terms with that particular aspect of his character. Not that she doesn't, it's just not that big of an issue. Yeah, she gets over it really quick. Yeah. So that's that's the basic summary of this movie. And Did I miss anything super important? Tim Roth is in it. Oh yeah, Tim Roth is in it. And he gets to have like a normal English accent, which is super mm-hmm. weird because every time I see Tim Roth in anything, he's always either putting on an Australian accent for some reason, or like just... I thought I thought he was American. I didn't realize he was British. Mm-hmm. Somehow I have not seen the British Tim Roth movies. Mm-hmm. But he's in this and he gets to play a British person. And also gets his... to have a really hokey American accent, which is hilarious. Oh, okay, yeah. I thought his accent was that on purpose? I wasn't Yeah, because they switch okay. on and off so that we okay. know as the audience when he's being pretending to be a cop and when he's being himself. Oh, I, think that's I just got the, that. The okay. That's yeah, cool. he was like a rival hitman or like Sam Rockwell's former handler or something. And that's why he was actually after Sam Rockwell, but he was in disguise as a CIA agent from I don't know where, but like somewhere in the States, clearly, because he had like a Southern accent. Yeah, it takes place in New Orleans. So I think he's supposed to be local. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I think it's that they were both CIA hitmen. This is the second time I've seen it. So I feel like I have a stronger grasp on the plot, but they were mm. both CIA hitmen. And then I think the idea is that Sam Rockwell experienced head trauma and it like knocked morality back in place. Like it knocked empathy back in place because he, he says at a certain point, like, I guess it's a good thing. So I guess head trauma is a good thing sometimes. I don't know um and tim roth keeps being like what's wrong with you like you care like you think at one point i guess he does say he's always had a kind of morality because now he's just killing anyone who hires him for Mm -hmm. being willing to kill someone um and so that's like his whole thing now but yeah that's their past and now i don't know like tim roth i don't know what he wants because he i don't think he's working with the cia he might be no, he's working with someone, though, because there's a point very early on where, like, who some some person over the phone tells him, like, all right, you're a CIA agent. This is your new identity. Right. Yeah. So probably just CIA. Like, they, they want him back in control. He's a good hitman. He's, he's, like, he's working with someone to take out the former hitman who's gone rogue. Except right. they don't go too far into it because that's not the important part of the movie, I guess. Yeah, which I mean, I think is a good call. I don't think going deeper into the logic of the Hitman stuff would have done anyone any good. Like, yeah, you know, 
Yeah, I don't think they needed to go deeper into it. I think it was a little confusing the exact amount that they went into it. Like, they could have gone less. They could have just had him be, you know, they could have established, oh, hey, we did this job together once. Literally say nothing about the job, but that establishes that they have a history. That's literally all they needed, I think. Yeah. 100%. Pierre, what did you think about this movie? I didn't like it. <laughs> but we finally was... got to talk about a Sam Rockwell movie. Haven't you been wanting I know, to do that? I was... I didn't even like him in this movie. It was weird. I thought, I thought, because I've seen this before, and I remembered, I thought I liked Sam Rockwell the first time, because I was like, I always liked Sam Rockwell. But I just, I found it really cringy. Like, everyone was, like, overacting in a way. And, like, even Tim Roth. I always liked Tim Roth, too. I hated Tim Roth in this movie. He was so annoying to me. I don't know why, because he didn't even really do that much. Like, he was just kind of there. But, like, he just, like, frustrated me. So, yeah, it was just a very, very off movie. The The romance part was, was not good. No chemistry. Um, and the action. Like you said, it was, like, <laughs> earlier, like, it's the best of both worlds. Like, action rom-com. It did neither part well at all, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah. Uh, not, not a big fan of the movie. I don't know. Yeah, that that's that's fair. I definitely like I definitely see what you were saying with everyone kind of overacting. Like Sam Rockwell was off the wall kooky and Anna Kendrick was also off the wall kooky and like I don't know, I thought they had enough chemistry. I don't know that they had like brilliant chemistry. It's it's no Anna Kendrick and George Clooney for sure. But like yeah, I guess they didn't really do much. Their relationship was there because they were always together but you didn't necessarily feel like i mean anna kendrick could have left at any point sam rockwell could have left at any point and i feel like the the plot would have just carried on for either of them yeah basically i don't know i i don't even know really know what the plot was i i was having a really hard this is like the longest short movie i've ever seen i was like oh it's like an hour and a half like how bad could it be Oh my god, this felt like it was like a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. Anyways, oh, wow. well, Rachel, what what did you think? I liked it. I it's funny to hear you be like, I loved I thought I loved Sam Rockwell and everything, but I didn't love him in this. I thought I loved Tim Roth and everything, but I didn't love him in this. I kind of felt the opposite. I was like, I think it's <laughs> kind of hard to fail with Sam Rockwell or Tim Roth. There are very few things that I've ever seen where they fail and I think the cast pulls this movie through um I think it's entirely reliant on them mm-hmm. uh being kooky I mean it's Sam Rockwell like out of 10 like they definitely just like leaned all the way in to Sam Rockwell I think mm-hmm. um same with Anna Kendrick just these archetypes that they get cast as they just like went all in on it I think it works well enough I agree. I wish there was more chemistry, but I don't even know what's causing that. I'm not even sure it's the actors. It might be like the direction or the writing. They're not lingering enough on certain things. They almost immediately have a relationship that's as if they've been together for like three years. So it's sort of like strangely asexual in a way because it just seems like they know each other really well and they get along really well and they're a really strong team but that's really, I think, all that you feel from them, which is kind of weird for the conceit of the movie, being her looking for a new boyfriend, in a sense. Or 
not looking. Yeah, it feels like the writing was almost too focused on the action, on like the action stuff. Cause like, I don't know, not that that was necessarily, and not that the action part of parts of the movie worked like necessarily. Cause I thought by the end, I think I'm between you guys. I was sort of lukewarm on this movie, but like by the end, there's like a big shootout scene. And I just kind of tuned out for that uh, because I definitely thought that I thought that the strongest parts of the movie were when the actors were getting to like act out their relationship stuff, except that it wasn't, that stuff wasn't super strongly written. I guess like I would have wanted to see more of more scenes like the knife scene that they have where like he's teaching her how to juggle knives, except that that scene was super weird. So I don't know that I want to see that scene specifically, but like more of that where they're actually interacting and like learning something and doing anything. I think that this one, I don't know that it subverts a lot of rom-com tropes, but it doesn't lean into a lot of them. And maybe it would have done better to lean into them more because the first thing that you said about rom-coms is like, they set up a series of obstacles for their couple to like work through. And there just aren't any here. Like there's no obstacles in this movie. And um, I think it kind of suffers for that because we end up, Yeah, I don't think it's that Anna Kendrick has no chemistry with Sam Rockwell. I think it's that her character isn't given any time to, like, show off any chemistry that is or isn't there. Yeah, there's no tension in this movie. You're not Mm -hmm. worried for a second. They kind of just, like, swerve around any potential sources of tension. I think pretty immediately they're just like, oh, yeah, I mean, uh, she's crazy. She's also crazy. They're both crazy, so... It's, a, it's a non-issue, and you know what? They're perfect for each other, so fuck it. Like, that's fine. Even though every rom-com asserts these two people are perfect for each other but don't see it, or something is missing or something is off, they don't do that. They don't let her get kidnapped when they're not together yet. Mm-hmm. They, they let them get back together before she's kidnapped, I think is maybe part of the problem. Like, I don't know why they make up before she's kidnapped. Early on, like... <laughs> Sam Rockwell says many times to Anna Kendrick, like when, when she asks, you know, what do you do? He's like, Oh, I kill people for a living. And like, he just says that. And she just takes it as a joke because obviously, I mean, that's kind of what you would do in that, in in this movie situation world. But like, then when she sees him actually kill someone, there's like one moment where she's like, Oh my God. And then she gets home. She's like, well, I guess he did say that he kills people for a living and then it's all good. (laughs) You never lie. It's the trust. It's the trust, not the killing. That was the yeah. Point. Yeah, that's the. I think they're sort of. They make her like the audience. Like us as the audience, we might think that. Like she asks Tim Roth, "Is he dangerous?" And he's like, "Oh, he's really dangerous." And she goes, "Oh my gosh, no." I'm sorry. I was asking, "Is he dangerous to me?" Like, which is <laughs> like what the you know audience might be thinking, like. Mm-hmm they're great together. Anna Kendrick shouldn't be worried. It's not like he's going to kill you. That's like, I think probably where you want your audience to be at is like, you know, he's a moral killer. Show him killing guys that only suck and not killing Steve or whatever. Like actually give them that dynamic. But instead she understands it immediately. She's on board. That seems fair. Uh, Let's do it. She's comfortable killing. 
he's a me like even he's trying to like it's almost like his character is trying to build tension he's like i told her i wouldn't kill anyone and she's going no seriously it's fine like it, and there's like funny jokes in there when she's going it's fine it's like yeah you're saying it's fine now but like is it gonna be fine but they don't actually do that like later she could give him shit about it it is actually like, fine why not do that yeah. this movie actually kind of makes me appreciate like some of those moments in like well in in rom-coms but also in like horror movies and stuff where you're watching the movie and like so many things will happen where you're where a character is doing something that you as the audience think is really stupid and so you're like screaming at your screen like don't do that or this is just a misunderstanding like just talk to the person and then like in this movie they do that and it kind of and it removes all the tension and it makes it less interesting to watch so many of those moments like uh, I don't remember the exact the exact scene, but in Marry Me, there's moments like that where it's like, oh my god, just talk, and then like this is all dealt with. But and and but you know the fact that people don't find those simple solutions and just communicate well is what builds tension in a movie. And in this one, uh, you know, they talk it out very quickly. All the tension's gone. That's that's it. We're done. Yeah, there's total trust. The miscommunication mm-hmm. trope in like rom-coms is like one of the worst ones, I think. It's like infuriating. It is, but it is a really easy way to like make things engaging for your audience. Make yeah. things engaging because your audience engages with the movie by hating what they're seeing, but engaging nonetheless. It makes people cheer, right? Like it makes yeah. people be like, just get together. Even if you're mm-hmm. not necessarily all for it before, you're just like, just do it. Like, just get together. Mm-hmm. I don't care anymore. Like, this is so stupid. You guys are being so stupid. That's something. But in, in this one, you're not really cheering on their relationship because you don't need to. They're good. They've got it covered. They're pretty much set. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like her her friends disappear. Um, his problems disappear. They're all good. <laughs> That's we can assume they become like a vigilante couple or something. That's yeah, it. which is which is fine. But at the end, like that relationship doesn't seem strong because we've never seen them struggle. But like, I mean, and within a movie, that's important, even though like, realistically, this is probably in a world where the events of this movie are realistic, then I think that this would end up being like a really good couple because they just fit together. There's total trust. It all works out. They communicate like they're doing everything right, which makes them a super boring movie couple. But like, probably fine in real life. I don't know. Paco, you know, good job. I hope you have a lot of friends like this because I'll bet they're really strong couples. (laughs) it's very tv that was my thought when i saw he mostly worked on tv i was like Mm -hmm. yeah like it feels like new girl uh yeah a lot Mm. of humor feels like new girl the jokes would make sense in a 30 minute comedy um this whole plot could make sense in a 30 minute comedy where the drama for their relationship is external rather than internal which is more of a tv thing just other stuff happening as opposed to them just having like a shit relationship I think makes more sense there. Compressing it down is maybe a good idea because I don't think you can get a full season out of it. I I think it's just an incomplete idea. Like, I think there's some good stuff in there. I thought the action was fun. I tend to get really bored during action. Just, like, super over it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have that problem with this movie. I liked Anna Kendrick laughing at them. I thought that bit was funny. Because she's entirely self-aware. Like, she's entirely outside the movie. Uh, she like has no fear that she's gonna die. She has like mm-hmm. a gun pointed at her, like finger on the trigger, and she's still like, "I'm gonna avoid this." But I, I don't know how she plans to do that. <laughs> like, she's not, <laughs> she's not gonna avoid it. I don't know why she would 
fuck with that at all. I thought the bits with Steve were funny. Like the shotgun thing is funny. But they're all TV show jokes. Mm-hmm. It's just like you gave me like an 1800 shotgun. Like what the fuck is this? Like I thought that was great. And later calling out like, sorry, you had automatic weapons and you just gave me a shotgun. Like why? <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. Steve was the best character. I shipped Steve and uh, Mr. Wright or whatever. Francis. Right. I thought their friendship was the best part of the movie. They had the most chemistry of anyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think the Rizzo is in nearly enough things. Even though he's been in a lot of things. Wait, what? Who? Uh, he, so Steve was played by Rizza. Uh, oh, RZA oh my God. From, um, I had no idea. Wu-Tang the Clan? Wu-Tang, yeah. Yeah. He did that movie, uh, The Man with the Iron Fists, which does not have a romantic plot at all, but it is like a really fun karate movie. Oh, he's Kung in a lot movie. of stuff. Oh my god. I had no idea. A lot of small hilarious. roles, though. He was in Due Date. Huh. And Minions, The Rise of Gru. How could I have missed him in that? Well, you, because it hasn't come out yet, that's why. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Overall, what would uh, what would you say, uh, Rachel? How does this stack up against other Anna Kendrick movies? It's like maximum Anna Kendrick. I would say it's medium. I think it's watchable. For me, it's pretty watchable. The first time mm. I watched it, I watched it with my husband. We were both like, yeah, that's fine. Like, I had a good time. Both leads have charisma, even if they don't have chemistry. So sure. Again, it's nice to watch Sam Rockwell in anything and... More recently, it's been a little harder to find him in comedies for some reason, which I don't really understand. I think he's probably selective because most of his movies are really good. I could see him being overused, but he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just like, like we love him in Charlie's Angels. Like he's like great in Charlie's Angels, which I recommend. Mm-hmm. It's a great Sam Rockwell movie. It's a good movie in general, in my opinion. It's really funny, which is directed by McGee, who I think is also a TV director, but it works. Um... But it's nice to see him like just kind of having fun in a movie and a Kendrick just having fun. I don't know. It's watchable. It's fine. I think I guess it's a weak performance. It's like because it's phoned in, but I don't feel like she phoned it in. I feel like someone else just asked her to do that. And she was like, yeah, I can. <laughs> I can do that. Like, you want me to like put cat ears on and be like, oh, my gosh, am I like a cat? <laughs> and like, that's the movie. Um <laughs> yeah medium very mediocre all around i would say Mm -hmm. i think it's just like it's just kind of a weak script i think that's like that's that's probably the biggest flaw of it is like that's why parts of it feel phoned in because i don't think it's i don't think the actors are phoning it in as so much as like they're given exactly enough to work with so that they can be funny and like that's about it like they're just not given they don't really have character arcs they just sort of have a bunch of little moments with each other, which like are mostly just setups for jokes and like payoffs for jokes. Like it's not like they have like a lot of, you know, big emotional moments or anything. It's just like, I did not realize this guy was a TV director, but like the more we talk about it, yeah, the more this, this absolutely makes sense. It's just a long TV episode. Well, it felt so long. I would say like, I, I thought it was pretty, pretty mid, maybe, maybe bottom mid, but like, I gave it I gave it like a I gave it like a six out of ten still, so I'd say probably a lower tier Anna Kendrick. I think like it's probably better than some of the 
lower tier ones, but I feel like it's just like it tried this one tried so hard that it like it makes it worse if that makes sense. Like the other ones were like they weren't like it, it, this one felt like kind of pretentious. So even though it was like kind of better than some of them, I still put it at like the same area. Um, yeah, and I I don't know what I drank this movie, but it was, it was just. It was very like it was watch like I guess it was watchable. I I never want to watch this again. I probably won't think about this again. Um, it's yeah. super weird that this one came out in 2015 because it feels like a 2007 2008 like peak rom coms movie. And like coming out in 2015, it doesn't lean into some of the tropes as much as it should, but it doesn't really subvert them either. So it's just kind of weird that it comes out so much later because it ends up being like sort of a. There's, there's this one YouTuber I like who made a video called A Lukewarm Tribute to Mediocre Movies or something. And this is like the exact kind of movie he's talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's cra- It's probably like one of Sam Rockwell's worst movies and medium for Anna Kendrick, which is why I was thinking mm-hmm. like he's really selective and her agent is bad. Yeah. Because uh, I think as far as like how funny they are and how much they're just doing their own shtick, it's the same. And they're just working with the writing that they're doing i think they both get equal laughs yeah i mean for her like some of her movies are unwatchable i consider that i didn't ever feel like the twilight movies were good and i still can't watch them i can totally see feeling like this movie is cringe like i get that and it it borders on that for me but i never tip over Mm -hmm. um it pulls it pulls it off for me but twilight is just viscerally cringy it might just be because I w- like read Twilight. I was like at the exact age group. I was very into Twilight, so it reminds me of myself. So it's cringy like that. I don't know, but it like Twilight is viscerally cringy, and this is like fine. <laughs> so it has that going for it. I will be shocked if we ever talk about a movie that I like less than the Mark Peace Experience. And so far, I like this one oh, a yeah. lot better than the Mark Peace. Yeah, experience. I forgot about that movie. Jeez. <laughs> That's I've never true. even heard of that movie. Neither has most of the world. Ben Stiller hated it so much that he tried to get it buried. Is at least the story <laughs> that we heard and have now proliferated. Yes. Don't watch it. Yeah, I mean, if it's not even funny, Please. bad. I have I have trouble with things that aren't even bad enough. So. It's so weird because, like, the Mark Peace experience has a killer concept. And then every part of the movie mishandles that so much. It's Jason Schwartzman playing a guy who peaked in high school and is now 10 years on, which like feels like a perfect role for Jason Schwartzman. But yeah, especially after Rushmore. Yeah. It like makes perfect sense in his career arc too to put him in that movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, that's, that's Mr. Wright. Thank you again, Rachel, for coming on. Uh, where can listeners find more me. of you? You can find me on TikTok at No, I Will Not Stop Talking. Uh, for my own good, I haven't been on there in a while, but the videos are all on there. You can still watch them. Um, I have a YouTube channel that does not come up if you search it because it is not SEO'd very well. So I think there's a link to that. And then I have a Substack that I will be trying to put up an article, I think, by the time this goes up about gender in rom-coms. Um, and I just... In that Substack, I discuss gender and the way it's in movies in a really lighthearted way. It's not high stakes. It's just fun. My most recent post on that was Malignant. The fun ways that gender is played in movies and played with. And so hopefully I'll have one up. And that one is, the actual Substack is called Performative Gender. 
but the link is will not stop talking.substack.com there will be a link yeah, so yeah i'm not too worried about it who's typing anything into their search bar i'll know. i'll link all of those in the show notes perfect thank you <laughs> All right. Well, Pierre, do you know what we're doing next? I think it's a double movie next time. No, pretty close, though. We're actually going to talk about the movie Rapture Palooza, which I looked at the poster. It looks exactly like a comedy, like a Comedy Central special. So, like, I don't wow. know what to think of that one. I am kind of excited for it, though. It has a great cast. Very cool. I think I saw that movie. Yeah, I think I saw that movie. Which is crazy, but it's like I just now remembered that I saw it. <laughs> that like brought up uh, a buried memory for me. Would you recommend it? Do you remember? I think I remember thinking it was like fun. Oh, it's okay. of its time. It's maybe very, we'll. This is the end. I maybe think. I'll try and watch This Is the End in prep in preparation for it too. Mm-hmm. Get a feel for the context. Thank you once again, Rachel, for coming on. Thank you, Pierre, for coming on as always. And we'll see Thank everyone you. next week.